Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. Well, officially, good morning to you all. Good morning. Yeah. And um, as the, uh, the warning um, in the beginning, so I came back with the Pittsburgh crud, so I'm, I'm on uh, quarantine. Um, that's right. But it's good northern crud. Um, <laughs> amen. So, Marsha was telling everybody yesterday, because of my throat going and stuff like that, that it's promising to be a short message. I don't know where she got that. She is a false prophetess. So, um, I just want you to know I'm extremely excited about this message, and there was no way I wasn't preaching this message or, or talking about it. Cause I, but, Rodney, the worst part is I'm excited about the end of the passage. Okay, so, and you can, if you took the sermon note sheet, you'll see it's two full pages. Okay? Even the large print is two full pages, okay? And I'm excited about the end, okay? So, we'll try to fly through this in the beginning. Now, this portion is a huge portion of Scripture that we're getting ready to look at. But so many times, again, we miss the forest because of the, the trees, okay? So, as we go through this, um, and I'm going to have a little review here in a quick second. As we go through this, I just kind of want to warn you as well, there's portions within here that... You could preach a whole message on it. Make sense? And we could go through a whole series on, on you've heard it said. We're not going to wind up doing that. Um, we'll, we'll touch on it very briefly. We have been looking at, over the past month and a half, two months, I think, is where we started with this, um, looking at the book of Matthew, understanding that this is about the coming of Messiah, or Messiah has come in the kingdom of Messiah, and that Matthew was a Jewish man, writing about a Jewish Messiah, talking to a Jewish audience. And in order for us to comprehend what's happening, we need to fully comprehend this from a Jewish concept. Okay. So as we've looked at it, we've gone through, we've looked at his lineage, the importance of this lineage. And again, um, I'm not going to go with the red heifer, but you know, the red heifer being born and, um, and now this one being certified. There have been other red heifers recently in the last decade or so. None of them have been certified. This one's certified. Okay. Now it's got to go on for a few years before I did a lot of research about this over the past years and even this past week even more. I'm very, very excited about this red heifer. Um, but it's got to go to about three or four years old. Okay. Um, and then at that point, if it's still perfect, then it can be sacrificed. So be thinking about it. Be praying about it. Okay. These things are kind of fun to be seeing happening, and I don't want to get sidetracked, but you can talk to me later. Well, don't talk to me in quarantine. Talk to me later, 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 and we'll talk even more about it. But, but so the lineage is huge. We talked about that, remember? When we talked about that, they, they actually, there's the lineage of David that people, there's a website now that there are people today who are claiming to have the lineage of David, okay? And uh, there's a guy in Chicago that started it all, and, and, and so they've got this whole website with people who claim to be and claim to have proof that they are of the lineage of David. Just a little aside again, just a little teaser. I'm not going there. But Antichrist, okay, we always think Antichrist is the one who comes against Christ. He's not the one who comes against Christ. Anti in the Greek means in place of, in place of Christ. He's the one who's going to come in place of Messiah. He will look like Messiah. And if you want somebody for the Jews to receive as Messiah, what do you think he should be? Jewish. Jewish. Give me a little more information. From the seed of David. Not saying anything, not a prophet, son of a prophet, but this is all kind of fun stuff in the days that we're living in, okay? You can talk to me later again. i got so much out there. It's just, 
The passion is there. It's so exciting. This, I mean, I've, always, I've said for 20 years, you guys know this, and I said in Sunday school, I believe, even 20 years ago, I'm living in the days of Christ's return. Okay? Prophetic, biblically, numerologically, from the Bible, straight from the Bible, I, as a math major, computer science guy, I've done a lot of research on this. I really believe it's in my lifetime. Now, if it doesn't happen, that's okay, too. I get to meet the Lord, right? And I'm not setting a date. I'm not going to tell you a date. Okay? But I'm just pumped when I see things like this happening because God's word is replete with evidence of, of the timing of Christ's return. Not the day or the hour, but Paul said it's going to be like a woman in travail. Got seven kids, six births. I kind of knew the season in which Marcia was going to give birth. I didn't know the day or the season. I didn't even know the week. I just knew I could probably say, hey, in two months from now, you're going to have a baby in your hands. You know, I better have a baby in my hand. Well, I didn't. It could be tomorrow, but I just know that in two months from now, if you don't, we got a problem. You know, we're going for C-sections or something because it's happening, okay? So, so all this is happening is birth being foretold. The forerunner, his forerunner, John the Baptist, we know is John the Immerser, okay? Again, the Greek word baptizo, it means dip, dunk, or immerse. Dunkin' Donuts is true biblical donuts, okay? They're, they're immersion donuts. They're, they're baptizo donuts. So, so John the Immerser came, okay? So if he's called John the Immerser, what do you think he did? He sprinkled? No. Again, we don't have time to go back to that. He immersed, okay? But the message of John the Immerser, or John the Baptist, was huge. His message was, repent, metanoia, change the way you think. Why? The kingdom of God has come. It says this is at hand, but again, in the Greek, it has come. The kingdom of God has come. Why did it come? Because Jesus was there. Where the king is, so is his kingdom. When Jesus then came... We had the inaugural preparation that was his, his immersion, his baptism, in his um, time of temptation in the wilderness, okay? But then he came and he presented the same message. What did Jesus proclaim? Change the way you think. Metanoia, repent. Change the way you think. Why? Because the kingdom of God is here. It has come. He's standing in their midst. He's the king. The Messiah has come. He's offering them the what? The kingdom. Did you get it? Yahweh himself is in their midst. Zechariah chapter 2, Isaiah 48. There are numerous passages in the Old Testament. Man, when I, when I, when I want to witness to the Mormons and the Jehovah Witnesses, I don't do it from the New Testament, I do it from the Old Testament. Because the Trinity of God, the triunity of God, is so replete in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament. It's there. And Yahweh himself declares that he's going to come. And he's going to dwell in their midst. And here he is. He's dwelling in their midst. How exciting is this? And he's offering them what they've been yearning for. And they missed it. John 1 says he came unto his own, but his own received him not. How sad. And I think to myself, how many times do I, what? I miss it. Is God speaking to me in his word? And I'm too busy. I'm too distracted. But he came, and he's preaching, repent. And not as he then say that, he says, repent, change the way you think, because the kingdom of God is here, and as a result of that then, what should you do? Follow me. Along with a promise, he gives him a promise. Not just a command, but the promise. Follow me, and what? What was it? I will make you fishers of men. If you are a follower of the kingfisher, and I'm not talking about the bird, then you will become 
a fisher of men. That's what he came to do, isn't he? He came to fish for men. He came to seek and save the lost. That's the whole goal. God's desire is that all men would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. He is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. I mean, God's word is, is consistent the whole way through. God, for even his Israel, his chosen people, he cried out over and over and over again, only if you would repent. Change the way you think. Change the way you think about God. Change the way you think about sin. Change the way you think about what is important in life. And on the heels of that, Matthew chooses to, to put what we call the Sermon on the Mount. David last week spoke on the Beatitudes section, what we refer to as the Beatitudes. But if you take this whole thing, this Sermon on the Mount, from chapter 5 through the end of chapter 7, what you're going to see is the standards of the kingdom. Jesus is coming now as the king. And he's presenting the kingdom to Israel. And he's presenting to them. Now, remember when we went about the kingdom, what is the kingdom? We have the eternal kingdom, right? But we have the physical kingdom, but we also have the spiritual kingdom. And so I believe, I'm different than a lot of dispensationalists, who on them, sorry. Anyways, okay, that when God speaks, God's on the earth, and when God speaks, his words what? They mean something, okay? I don't discard all this as saying, Oh, well, that's only to Israel, because that's kingdom theology. Jesus is teaching, and he's given, he's increasing, we're going to see it's going to be a higher standard here, he's, he's magnifying the law, okay? And so what he's doing now is he's telling them how you change the way you think. He's told them, you need to change the way you think. The kingdom of God is at hand. So here's how you think differently. So the Beatitudes... This is the world view. This is the way the world thinks, right? But I say unto you, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are you when you are persecuted. Blessed are those the meek, right? And he goes through all these things and he says, and if you take this mind, if you would just change the way you think and you begin to have this kingdom mindset, do you know what will happen? You'll be the salt of the earth. So what's good salt of it? It's lost its saltiness. You'll be the salt of the earth. You'll be the light of the world. You will be like a city that is set upon a hill whose light cannot be hidden. It cannot be hidden. Why would God says, why would you light a candlestick and put it under the bed? That's kind of silly, isn't it? He says, it doesn't do you any good unless you're what? Looking for dust underneath your bed. Okay? The whole idea is you don't. You light a candlestick and you put it on the what? On the table, on the lampstand. Why? So it gives light to the whole room. The believers and the unbelievers. <coughs> Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, he said, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things then without murmuring and disputing, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you may shine as lights in the world. Do you think we live in a crooked and perverse nation? Do you think it needs a few lights shining? If Jesus is living in your hearts, then he has, he's going to put in you both the will and do his good pleasure. He's going to help you change the way you think. And if you change the way you think, you will be salt, you will be light, and he will make you into fishers of men. It's a promise. It's a fact. 
And he continues on with this now. And he intensifies the whole thing by bringing in this higher standard that we're going to read about today that Chuck's already read the passage of. And this is what I'm really pumped about. Because at first, this is a, this is a, this is a downer. But we're going to end on an up note, I promise you, okay? This is exciting to me. First of all, Jesus gives this ultimatum of the standard. He says, unless your righteousness abounds greater than that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter into the kingdom of God. The kingdom of the heavens, literally. Okay? Unless your righteousness, again, you're a Jewish person hearing this. You've got, don't think like a Gentile, don't think like an American in the 21st century. You'll miss the total impact of this. You've got to think like, like a Jewish guy sitting on that hill, or a Jewish woman sitting on that hill, listening to him. And he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and the scribes, you will have no hope, no hope, no way will you ever enter into the kingdom of heaven. Wow. What did they just hear? They're going to hell! How many people, when you witness to them today, like to hear that they're going to hell? In a Jewish mind, that's what he just said. You have no hope. He's talking to the, the sinners and the publicans. They're not Pharisees. They're not scribes. They're the unrighteous people. If anybody has a chance of getting into heaven, it's got to be who? The scribes and the Pharisees. Why? Because of the importance of the law and the prophets. Jesus starts right off the bat... By making this statement. Because he comes through this, right? And he's presenting a whole new mindset. And he says to them then, be careful, I didn't come to destroy the law and the prophets. There's a lot of people who say Jesus came and he destroyed it. That's not whatever Paul says. Paul doesn't say that Jesus came to destroy it. Paul said that the law was a, what? A schoolmaster. The purpose of the law and the prophets is to remind us of our sin. To lead us to sin. To lead us to understand that we need a Savior. Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy it. I came to fulfill it. Important word here. You've heard it talking about it before. It's the word pleroma. Okay? It's that cup, remember? And we're pouring the, the wine or the water into it, right? And how much can that cup, can that chalice hold? Just a little bit more than it really can hold. Because because of the hydrogen bonding, it'll actually bead over the top. You put one more drop in it, and psh, it goes over the edge, right? When you got that bead, and not a drop more can fit, that's pleroma. So in Galatians chapter 4, that Jesus came in the fullness of time. How fun is that? In this age we live in, it's called the age of the Gentiles. And this age will continue until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. How cool is that? Okay? God's got these, he's got time as a cup, and he's got events as a cup, right? And Jesus said, in the same way, he didn't come to destroy, abdicate, get rid of the law. Rather, he came to fulfill it. To fill it up further than it already was. It wasn't done yet. We think, oh, he was putting us, he wasn't. He was saying, oh, I need to complete it. I need to complete it. There's still a little bit more. And you know when it was finally completed? We sang about it this morning. Think it through. We have a, a very good statement on it. Tetelestai! It is finished. 
He came to fulfill the law. He came to fulfill God's plan that's been all the way through the old, from Genesis all the way to Malachi. It's all there. And Jesus, the entire, why he came to the earth, he was God, Yahweh, incarnate. He knew what he wrote. He knew what needed to be fulfilled. And he says, not one jot, not one tittle will be left unfulfilled. Do you know where that jot and tittle also comes into play? Jesus talked about jot and tittle before, didn't he? Or not before, but after that. I just talked about it a little bit ago. I don't know the what. The day or the hour. Why? Because Jesus said so, right? No man knows the what. The day or the hour. But you know what he said just before that? Not one jot or one tittle will be left undone. He said, every word that I say comes true. Every jot and tittle was fulfilled for the crucifixion of Christ, the redemption that we have. Every jot and tittle, if you would, of God's word will be completed when he who was crucified comes back on that white throne or on that, on that white charger. How fun is on his On his thigh is going to be written, faithful and true, chesed nemet. That's who he is. He's chesed nemet. He is faithful and true. Yahweh was chesed nemet. That's the names given to, to Yahweh. Yahweh himself in the flesh. Yahweh incarnate is going to come on that charger. How cool is this? This is exciting stuff, y'all. The king. God himself. The, the king of the universe. Big K king. Big U universe. We're not talking about kings of men whose words come and go. We're talking about the king came and resided on the earth. And he's telling us what he's going to do. But... He then talks about the imperfection of man's righteousness within the same thing. He comes to fulfill the law, but then he starts slamming this, bringing this this higher standard by saying, unless your righteousness, your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees had this this system of 615 commands. Okay? You can see here 365 negative, one for every day, right? I doubt if they did it that way on purpose, but it fits our calendar system. 365 were negative, 250 were positive. And then they continued on because man began to look at, at those traditions and those commentaries rather than the Word of God. Be careful, okay? We do the same thing. We tend to read the, the, the John MacArthur commentaries. We tend to read the John Piper commentaries. We tend to read the R.C. Sproul commentaries. And we don't read the Word of God. Listen, respectfully, John MacArthur is nobody. John Piper is nobody. R.C. Sproul is nobody. Bob Corbin is... Nobody. It is God's word that is true. I don't, you know, I remember when I preached from 1 Corinthians, we just went through 1 Corinthians again, I shared this, but I went through 1 Corinthians 11, and we're talking about the long hair is given to a woman, right? And I remember everybody worrying about what I thought should be the woman's length of hair. You know, can it, can it come to the bottom of the air? Can it be the top of the air? Can it be on the shoulder? How far down to the butt does it have to go? It doesn't, I don't care. It doesn't matter what I think. And remember, Marcia got a haircut. In fact, she just got a haircut last weekend before I came home. I looked at her when, when I saw her on Tuesday. She kind of, you know, kind of looked at me. And I'm thinking to myself, old age moment. Did she get her haircut? <laughs> I think she got her haircut, but man, if she got her haircut two weeks ago, and I'm just thinking about it now, I'm really in trouble. So it was later on in the evening. I said, "Did you get your haircut?" Well, I'm it's about time. You know that? Why? Actually, I did notice. Okay. And so she got her haircut back then. I remember people saying, oh, 
that's what Pastor Bob thinks is long hair. It's like, you guys are, you're killing me. It doesn't matter what Pastor Bob thinks. It only matters what God says. And so the people began to take their eyes off of God and they began to put it on the Pharisees. They began, because they stated, the Pharisees declared that if anyone lived up to their interpretation of the law, they would be acceptable to God. Does that sound like fundamental, fundamental, independent, fundamental Christians? Okay, I'm picking on us. Okay, honestly, straight up, if we were living in back in those days, we'd be Pharisees. Pharisees believed in the, in the literal, or the, the, that the Bible was God's word. They believed in the resurrection. We could go down the line with those things that they believed. We'd probably be Pharisees. Now, we could have been Essenes, but more than likely, because of where we are, we'd probably be looking toward that in the, the, the higher, higher standard of, of the Word of God. So we've got to be careful, because we tend to do that. We tend to put out these standards, and we think that, you know, if somebody's got a, a, a nose ring, or somebody's got a this, or somebody's got a that, or their hair is, is, is rainbow color coming around, then, then they're, they're less. Who does God love? Everyone. Everyone is made in the image and likeness of God. And he loves them all. It doesn't matter what I think. God is not a respecter of persons. For God so loved the world. He didn't just love Bob. I'm glad he loved the world because Bob wasn't always like this. And Bob still has a whole lot of dross that needs to be taken out and be reformed. Transformed. How how good God is. But, according to the Jews, because of this, what Jesus just stated in just three short verses to us is that they were condemned. So he didn't just talk about it, then he turns around and he begins to illustrate it. And as you'll note, then as the king, Jesus is starting to speak with authority. You've heard it said, but I say unto you. You've heard it said, but I say unto you. What's he saying? What I'm saying is what? More important than what you've heard. Now, which is very interesting, because he starts off with, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. Right? But I say unto you, that if you get angry with somebody, without a cause, if you call them a name, racha, empty-headed, dim-witted, you're going to be danger of the, the hellfire. Note what, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on each one of these, but note what Jesus is doing. He's intensifying the law. He's not destroying the law. He's actually teaching the law and teaching the intent, the original intent of the law. When we think about Kavanaugh being, um, going through the confirmation process for the Supreme Court, there's the big battle going on right now, right? Because Kavanaugh believes in what? Original intent of the interpretation of the Constitution. But liberals today, what? They don't want that. They wanted to say whatever they wanted to say. Jesus is going back to the what? The original intent of the Constitution, if you would. Of the original Constitution. Okay? Because always remember, even a lot of things that you see in the Mosaic Law existed before Moses. When, when, when Moses went up on top of the mountain, he just cleaned it up for, for, for Israel. When Noah got off the ark, what was the first thing he did? He offered sacrifices. What did he take on the ark with him? Clean and unclean. There was a concept of clean and unclean. There was a concept of sacrifices. In fact, we know in Genesis chapter 4, one of the very first acts that Cain and Abel do is that in the course of time, they did what? They brought an offering. Not a sacrifice. It was a mincha. It was an offering. 
Okay? And so everybody gets on the fact that he didn't have a blood sacrifice and all that kind of stuff, and I'm not going to go into that. But the word mecha is not the word ola or ishi. It wasn't a sacrifice. It wasn't a slaughter. It was actually an offering that was asked to be brought. Okay? I think it was a first, first fruits offering. So, but the whole point is that sacrificial system, make sense, was known even all the way back to Genesis chapter 4. Right? So Noah comes off the ark. And I say all this to say because liberals want to pin Israel's sacrificial system in the Mosaic law on that all Moses did was he looked out to the world, to all the different um, nations, and he took all their religious practices and he put them together and he made Israel's. So I wrote a paper on this years ago. And my, my question is then, if that's the case, then where did the nations get theirs? We don't want to think of that one through. Because they all have similarities and they all go back to what? One system. And that was a system that God originally gave. God is on the earth. He's talking about the law. What do you think God is doing while he's on the earth talking about the law? He's bringing them back to his original intent. That's why he's speaking with authority. You heard it said, and so then your disciples, your Pharisees and such say, but I say unto you. So what's he just say right here? It's not just a physical thing. You've heard it said, thou shalt not commit murder. But I say unto you, if you do it with your mouth, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names, names will never hurt me. What a lie. Numerous of you have heard me share this before, but I love sharing this at Good News Club too. So how many of you can see me right now? If you can see me, put up your hand. Can you see me? You can't see me. I'm not a, not a magician, but you can't see me. What you see is my tent. You see what I live in. I live inside here. If you cut off both my arms, am I still me? You cut off my arms and you cut off my legs and I look like I should be in a... Um, uh, yeah, no, I'm thinking of the um, Monty Python show. It's <laughs> really a flesh wound. Um, anyways, <laughs> one person got it. Anyways, and so am I still me? If you cut off my arms, you cut off my legs, and you burn me in a fire so I'm irrecognizable, but I'm still living. Am I still me? I'm still me. I live inside of here. One day, I'm going to physically die. I'm going to be, in that word death, literally go back. I'm going to be separated. I will be separated from this body that I live in. How cool is that, huh? So, do you know what happens when you call names? You're not attacking my tent you're attacking the guy who lives inside the tent that's why that is more intensive murder emotional abuse is many times greater alright Stacy is sometimes greater than physical abuse because it sticks with you doesn't it you can get stitches and, and that'll be healed but the memories always last don't they she understands Jesus is intensifying this thing. You should not commit adultery. You've heard it said. You should not commit adultery. That sounds like, a, 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 again, another one of the Big Ten, right? Jesus said, But I say unto you, if you lust after a woman, you've committed adultery. Guys, don't tell me you're just enjoying the creation of God. God's put this beauty on the earth in order to be appreciated. And I'm just appreciative. I can't tell you how many guys I hear say me that. That's a lie. That's from the pit of the devil. 
Do you know what pornography, literally, it's a Greek word. Actually, it's two Greek words put together. Porne is the word evil, wicked. Graphos is writings. That's what it literally means. And the world knows it. It's wicked, evil writings and pictures. And we try to what? Excuse it. Jesus said, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. I tell you, if you lust after a woman in your heart. Ladies, he's talking to guys, right? Not just ladies, not just guys. Ladies, you can lust relationally. I understand there are women who lust physically as well, but women tend to commit adultery in their hearts by lusting relationally after somebody else. I've been the recipient of that, or I believe I have, and I tell a husband, your wife needs to go talk to you. She needs to talk. Don't, I don't want her asking any more spiritual questions because she's, I'm, I'm being put on a pedestal or something and I, I don't need to be there. Be careful, ladies. If you are joined with another man, called your husband, hopefully, okay, then what God has put together, let not man or woman put asunder. You have heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say unto you, if you lust after an individual, let's put it that way, you're committing it in your heart. Jesus went on and says, you've, you've heard it said, you can divorce, and I'm going to put it for any reason. Okay? And so I love Fiddler on the Roof, you know, and they have this little part when they're in the synagogue and the rabbi is teaching them. Have you guys seen this? you got to see it. I mean, Fiddler on the Roof is such a spiritual movie. Anyways, and they're in there, and, and he says, and he's, and he's going, and he says, and if she just burnt the toast, you can divorce her if she just burns the toast. You can divorce her. Because they're not studying God's word. They're studying the Mishnah. They're studying the writings of the, of the rabbis. Get it? They're not studying God's word. They don't know because God didn't say that. Jesus said, but I say unto you, if you divorce a woman or a man for any other reason other than unfaithfulness, for not fornication, okay, then you are committing adultery. And you're causing them to commit adultery. He said later in Matthew 18, he said that if anybody marries, in fact, it might be here. If you marry a woman who's been divorced, then you're committing adultery. And she's what? Committing adultery. This is a big deal. God makes this thing a big deal. Why? Because this is what he established back in Genesis chapter 2. This is what we're told by Paul is the picture of Christ in the church. This is huge. I don't have time because keep moving on. If you swear... You've heard it said, you shall swear your oath by Yahweh. Yahweh says, Yahweh incarnate, Jesus, Yeshua, says, I say unto you, don't make an oath. Don't swear by God. Don't swear by the earth. Don't swear by the heavens. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you say you're going to do something, then what? Do it. We talked about this in Sunday school when we're talking about alluding a little bit to the... the, um, the United Nations Conventions of the Rights of Children, okay, which has been in, in, in um, the committee. Madeleine Albright signed it back in the days of Bill Clinton. It's been in committee since the 1970s, 70s, 80s, whatever Bill Clinton was in. My, my brain is foggy a little right now. And so, but it's been in committee that entire time. Madeleine Albright signed it. It just needs to be ratified by our Congress. The problem with that, y'all need to watch out for this, okay? minute we sign it, minute we ratify it, we become subservient to the United Nations, Okay? They will take sovereign control over our country because we see those conventions, those treaties, as equal to and above our own constitution. In the United States, 
<laughs> for what it's worth, are people of the word. <laughs> so we say, at least governmentally we do. And so therefore, we will hold to a treaty above our own constitution. Ask all the other nations that thought there were no teeth to this United Nations Convention of the Rights of Children. There was a United Nations Convention of the Rights of the um, Handicapped or Disabled that came out a year or two ago, and it was shot down, okay? Primarily by conservatives, okay? Homeschoolers flooded the gates again, okay? Why? Because it's a gateway to the United Nations Convention of the Rights of Children. That if that's signed, then the, then the United States gives away their sovereignty to them, okay? And so, what am I saying? Because the United States can let their yes be yes and their no be no. Does that make sense? And at that point, when homeschooling becomes illegal, go check Germany, go check Sweden, go check Britain, okay? When it becomes illegal, the minute they sign it, give it a year, it'll become illegal in the United States. And when there's any disputes against it, it'll go to the world court, not our Supreme Court. It's already been done. It's out there. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. I go to my kid. My kids get frustrated sometimes because I won't make a commitment to something. Because if I tell you I'm going to do it, I'm going to what? Do it. I'm going to try to at least try everything I can to do it. Why? Because I just said so before God. Now, I wish I could tell you that from the time that I got saved, I understood all this concept. I didn't. I had to grow in this. But being a man or a woman of integrity is a big deal, isn't it? Don't you want to know that when somebody came in to do work on your house, that they, they did what they said they were going to do? Yeah. Until your house falls down. Ten years later, and you find out it was all because the guy didn't do what he said he was going to do. He didn't put a screw on it? I can't. Whatever. Oh, yeah, you guys just have the kitchen done. Sorry. Anyways. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's kind of biblical, too. You know, part of the law. If, if you put out somebody's eye, then you need to put out their eye. You punch out their tooth, you punch out their tooth. Jesus said, that was my, not my original intent. The whole idea here is don't resist. Turn the other cheek. Give the cloak. The whole idea is that you're other focused. So think, think love your neighbor as you come through these things. Okay? He goes on. Love your neighbor and what? Hate your enemies. He said, you've heard it said, you shall love your, your, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. But I say unto you, love even your what? Enemies and pray for those who what? Despitefully. Despitefully use you. They don't just use you. They despitefully use you. They love it. They're tearing you down because you're an easy mark. Christian, how, how stupid you are. How foolish you are. There's going to come a day when I'm going to stand before the white throne of judgment. I'm not going to stand before the white throne. I'm going to stand before the beam of Cinder Christ, but you get what I'm talking about. You're going to stand before the judgment seat, right? In the end, who is the fool? Guy who went to the AUKUS. His wife, Elliot. Jim Elliot. Anyways, I had to go through, get around it somehow, come back to it. Jim Elliot said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. What did Jim Elliot give? He gave everything. His wife, Elizabeth, wrote the book called Through Gates of Splendor. She knew exactly what he gained. From the world's perspective, he was an idiot. He threw away his life. From the kingdom perspective, he gained it all. So, 
as I come through these things, these are intensifications. So I have to ask myself, am I becoming like the Pharisees? Am I looking at the, 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 the physical, well, I didn't do that. I didn't do the big D with her. Really? Did I think about the big D? You know, it's the divorce word. You don't like the divorce word. Don't use the divorce word. That, that, that talk, uh, mind talk, think talk, you start thinking those things, you begin to what? Thinking more about them and doing them, okay? So I didn't talk divorce, but I what? I thought about it. That's what Jesus cares about. Change the way you think. Get it? Change the way you think. Don't think this way. Don't think, well, as long as I don't pull the trigger. Don't think as long as I don't throw the knife. Don't think as long as I blow the dark. Whatever little situation you're in, whatever the weapon is, I didn't really hit him. I just came this close. Yeah, oh my. She knows me. So, I didn't really hit her. I didn't really hit him. Jesus said, were you thinking about it? Then you're guilty of it. Now we get into this ultimate standard. It's one verse. How powerful this one verse is. Therefore, he starts it off with that big word. Therefore. Do you know what therefore is therefore? Everything else I just said now gets into this final statement. This is my summary statement. King James. Therefore, you shall be perfect, thus as your Father in heaven is perfect. King James. That was New King James. King James. Therefore, thou shalt be perfect, just as your Father... Or, therefore, be ye perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Who has the New American Standard? Read it, bro, David. Therefore, you are to be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Therefore, you are to be perfect. Okay, who has the ESV? Characters on here. Okay, good. Okay, please. You, therefore, must be perfect, even as your father. Anybody have the NIV? This is our case, Chuck. You don't have to look up. And I, you, you have it already up? It's all right. NIV pretty much states it the same way. This, this is going to take some time. Okay? This is why I love this. Okay? I spent hours on this this week. Hours. On this one little statement. The New King James gets it right. All those other versions got it wrong. talk about it. First of all, you can take it as a command, which all these other versions do, okay? Now, for those, this is going to be technical. Hang with me. You got it. All right? So, but this is extremely important, okay? So, let me start off with it before I get into this. Okay, in Greek, we talk about this a lot, but let me just use an illustration. I thought of this last night when I was in my delirium with the sweat pouring off. Anyways, but um, let me just use an illustration, okay? It helps, might help with how different languages do this, because English is totally different. I run. Okay? I is the subject, run is the, the verb, right? It's very simple, I run. Get rid of the I. Because in our language, not ours, English, but what the language we're going to develop, which is going to be like Greek, okay? We don't have that I. Rather, it would be run I. Okay? Because at the end of the word, this, we have a suffix that indicates who this, this, the subject is. So run I. Okay, just put the I at the end, and we'll just make it run I. Okay? And so, if I say run U, what did I just say? You run. If I say run it, 
I'm saying he, she, or it runs, right? If I said run we, then I'm saying we run, right? If I say run y'all or run all, then I'm saying it's you, plural. Make sense? And if I say run a, then I'm saying it's third person plural, right? Because you have the first person singular, that's I. You have the second person singular, which is you. You have the third person singular, which is he, she, or it. Then you go to the plurals, and you have the first person plural, which is we. Then you have the second person plural, which is y'all. I, I love being down south because it's so accurate. It's y'all. Then the third person plural, which is they. Okay? Very important, okay? And we know we have past, present, and future, right? Okay? And so you go, and then you what? If you did, if you go before, you what? Went. You went, okay? So we kind of get that kind of stuff. We change our words just slightly. So let's say that if in, in the past tense, run becomes what? Ran. ran. Oh, so I have ran I, ran who, ran, ran uh, what did I say? It, ran it, ran it, ran we, ran you all, ran a. Make sense? Okay, so we're getting it so far. That was past. So now i got to go future. So what am I going to do with future? Well, I'm going to put an S in after the N. So instead of saying, I shall run, I'll just put that S in. That'll represent my shell, right? So I have runzai, runzo, runzi, no, no, it, runzit, runzi, runzal, runze. And so with one word, I can then tell you who's talking and whether it's past, present, or future. Do you track with that? Okay, I hope, I hope some of you start to can glean a little bit of this. Because this is what's very important when you do Greek. I think God chose Hebrew for the Old Covenant for a very important reason. There is future completed action in the Old Testament. Very exciting. It's always his prophecies. Do you get that? They're future completed actions. How do you have a future completed action? God's word is. It's a done deal. When he prophesies, it's a done deal. He chose Hebrew for a very important reason. He chose Greek. For very important reasons. There's great details in it. And so, details that are very important for us to know. And I am going to give an account for everything I teach you. James 3, 1. Be not many masters, such are the greater condemnation. And so, therefore, when I, when, I, when I do something that seems to be a little bit different than norm, I want to show you why I've done this. Okay? I don't take this lightly. I'm going to give an account for this. Make sense? Okay. So, future active indicative verbs. And this is a future active indicative. Okay? Which we're going to talk about. That you shall. You shall. Okay, it's the, you'll see it in a moment. It's the word asethe. It doesn't really matter for most of you, but those who have learned Greek, okay, this will matter. Okay, future active indicative verbs can be used to issue commands specifically when they refer to Old Testament commandments. When it is used this way, it's the action that is the verb. So in our passage, Matthew 5, you saw numerous times that it said, you heard it said, what? Thou shalt not. You shall not. Right? You shall not. But that you shall was not the action. It wasn't a command. It's you shall not. It was future, but it wasn't the word. The word to be wasn't in that verb. We're going to get this in more. This is very important. The word to be wasn't in those verses. All that was in those verses was not murder. The you shall isn't there. It's attached to murder. Remember what we just did with the Ranzai, Ranz, all that? Okay? The verb is there. So murder, okay? So um, whatever I said, so murder Sue, or no, murder Saul. Murder Saul. Remember? Y'all shall not 
murder, murder Saul. So one word said it all, murder Saul. You shall not murder. Okay? But the word to be, you shall, isn't in there. Very distinct importance here, okay? How you translate. Translation is so key, okay? So hang with me on this one. I'm just, I'm very excited about this, okay? Very, very excited, okay? But you got to hang with me on it. So, the U, U, UV isn't in there, okay? So it can be used as a command. It can be. What's the implications of this? Theologically, it's the reiteration of the standard that Jesus first stated. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees. Well, what righteousness is going to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees? The righteousness of, of God. That means what? Perfection. And so the call is, the call as a command, if you would, and that's how these other translations took this, the call is then to be perfect, even as then God is perfect. Okay, Romans 3.10 says, though, that there is none who is what? Righteous. No, not one. Romans 3.23 tells me that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That word glory, doxa, literally in, in its in, in original meaning, means reputation. What's the reputation of God? He is righteous. He is glorious. He is holy. Every one of us have fallen short of what? The righteous perfection of God. So, Jesus' statement is really a seal of our condemnation. If I have to be perfect as God is perfect, then what? It's a done deal. But I want to submit to you that SSD is a future active indicative, okay? And not only can this be taken as a command, but more accurately, I believe, according to Bob, okay? More accurately, it should be taken as a pure statement. Take this as a pure statement. It is an indicative, okay, in the indicative mood. Now you say, okay, well, again, I'm, I'm overloading you. I, pro- I, I, I apologize. Some of you are getting this. This is like being down at Golden Corral and, you know, some people want the green beans and I don't know why. And some people <laughs> want, want, the, want the better stuff like corn on the cob. Anyways, and so, so I'm presenting you a little bit of steak right now, okay? So, so hang with me if you can, okay? And I don't mean that it's wrong. I really don't, okay? It, there are moods, okay? So the indicative is a statement of fact. In the Greek, I mean, I, I should have put the Luo chart up here. It's overwhelming, isn't it? When I teach Greek and I show them the Luo chart right off the bat, they're like, Ugh. I said, don't worry about it. You've got all year to figure this thing out, okay? And so, and we'll just start right here. But the indicative mood is the mood of the statement of fact, it's a statement of fact. So if I say something in the indicative mood, it's a fact. Okay? There is also then the imperative mood. If I do something in the imperative mood, it is the mood of command. Okay? I'm telling you to do this. It's an imperative. Now, if it's a lower to an upper, it's a plea. But if it's an upper to a lower, and I think Jesus is talking to a lower, yes? Then it would be a what? A command. Okay? You have the subjunctive mood. Okay, the subjunctive mood is the mood of unreality. So if I said to you after supper or after supper, after church, I'm going to have supper. I will have supper after 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 the service. I, I shall have supper. In my future, in my indicative, in my my subjunctive, what am I? I'm future indicative. I'm making a a, a, a statement about the future. Make sense? If I said to you, after church, I think I'll have supper. That's the subjunctive mood. It's a mood of unreality. It hasn't happened yet. I think it's what's going to happen. If I said to you, after, after the service, have supper. It's what? 
It's a command. It's imperative. I'm, no, you don't have an option. You got to eat. And Rodney's saying, "Yeah." So stop. So, anyways, <laughs> it's still in the warmer, brother. Anyways, I'm joking with you. Rodney and I go way back. We can harass each other. So, um, so it's it's that way. So this is a future indicative statement. Okay, and he uses the word as esti. Okay, which is the future indicative amy. I know. If it doesn't mean anything, don't worry about it. Just run, runs I. Make sense? This is the future statement of it. It's a future indicative, second person plural. Okay? Okay? It's used ten times in the New Testament. So, I don't have time to go through all these. Okay? But, you, I think you have the, the, the verse, the references on your sheets, if you got the sheets. Matthew 10, 22, Matthew 24, 9, Mark 13, 13, Luke 21, all state, you shall be hated for my name's sake. Is that a statement of fact or is that a command? It's a statement of future fact, right? It's not a command. For my name, you will. You better be. You know, no, it's a statement of fact. Okay. Luke 6, 35, you shall be a son of the Most High. Is that a command or is that a statement? It's a statement. John 8, 36, therefore the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Is that a statement or a command? It's a statement. Acts 1.8, you shall be my witnesses. Statement or command? Oh, now we struggle a little bit. No, it's a statement. You shall be my witnesses. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall be my witnesses. It's a, it's a statement of fact. Jesus said it's going to happen. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you can't help but what? Witness. Acts 14, verse 9, you shall be speaking into the air. That whole idea there is that, that if you speak with a tongue that nobody else can hear, you shall be speaking in the air. So is that a statement of future fact, or is that, a, is that a command? It's a statement of future fact. 2 Corinthians 6.18, I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Again, is it a command or a statement of fact? Statement. statement of fact. Every single one of these, the rest of the way through the New Testament, is a statement of future fact. Never is SSD ever taken as a command. It's never taken as a command. It's always a statement of fact, a future fact, a fact that's going to be in the future. Okay. Amy is a commandment, is used as an imperative 23 times, okay? So the word Amy, so as the future active indicative, never uses as command. But if Jesus wanted to use, okay, now I understand this is the translation of what Jesus said, because he's probably spoken in Aramaic. If Matthew then writing this wanted to, to indicate this, he could have used the word Amy, and he could have done it as a command, okay? But never in the future indicative. Rather, Amy does have... The imperative. Remember we talked about imperative? It has the imperative mood. And so he could have used the imperative option of Amy. It's used 23 times. In fact, it's used six times in the book of Matthew. So Matthew knew it existed. He even used it. Does that make sense? So if he wanted it to say, you be, he could have said that. He could have said, you be. But he didn't say, you be. What he rather said was what? You shall be. Do you get the difference here? You be perfect. That's a what? That's a command. You shall be perfect. That's a what? That's a statement of fact. How cool is that? Which one sounds better to you? You shall be. This is so huge to me. I mean, I was like, wow. And I know I've seen it before because I saw it in some of my other studies. But I never went deeper into this thing to just talk about it more, to verify this thing. But this is, it's, I mean, I could just go through all these, you know, I gave you verses and there's tons of other verses that are there. And I don't have time to go through it. But what this gets into, what I need to, to go through real quick, 
theologically, it's a declaration that when you follow the king, you shall be made perfect. It's a promise. How cool is this? When you look at the scribes of Pharisees, you're what? <coughs> you're condemned. But if you follow the king, not only is he going to make you a fisher of men, he's going to make you what? He's going to make you perfect. Because again, Philippians chapter 2, he who works in you both to what? Will and do of his good pleasure. Philippians chapter 1, that he who began the good work in you will not will continue to perform it till what? The day of Christ. Do you get it? God's the one who's working in you. He's the one who's making you perfect. You're not perfect right now. I have some differences of opinion with our speaker at camp. You're not perfect right now, but you are judicially perfect. Okay? So when we talk about this, we're talking about sanctification, the whole concept. Positional perfection is called justification. So when you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are positionally perfect. You are positionally justified before God. You go before the you go for the judge, the judge declares you as what? Righteous. Because of your own righteousness? No, but like we sang, his robes for mine, because Jesus took my sin so I could take his righteousness. How cool is that? What an exchange. What a swap. I could use a bunch of football illustrations all refrain. Thank you. Good good trades. I'll give you Le'Veon Bell right now for anything you want to give me. Anyways, we'll leave that one go. So, that's what Jesus did though. Jesus gave us, if you would, the five-star quarterback for the guy who couldn't make fourth string. You think, that's nuts. It's even worse than that. It's even more extreme than that. Jesus, who knew no sin. Jesus, who was Yahweh in the flesh, went to the cross and didn't just die for my sins. He became my sins. He eradicated my sins so that I could be made perfect. Telestai. It is perfected. It is perfected. The tetelestai is the perfect of the verb for teleo, which is our word, perfect. You shall be perfect. You shall be perfected. Jesus said what? It has been perfected. This is cool stuff. Okay? So, positionally, there's positional uh, perfection. 2 Corinthians 5, Romans 3, Romans 5. You can look those up. Eternal perfection. It's the glorification. Romans 8, 28 to 30. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did what? Did predestine that they may be conformed to the image of his Son. And whom he did foreknow, he also did call. And whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, he also glorified. It's a done deal. You already are glorified. When he called you, he glorified you. You just haven't noticed. You haven't, you, you haven't been there yet. I look forward. I haven't got a clue what it's going to be like when I, when I close my eyes here and I open them up over there and I'm perfect. When sin, when Romans 7 isn't a part of me, when there's not the struggle with the flesh, I can't comprehend that. Sin, I mean, self-centeredness, my little tunnel visionness, it's all going to be gone. I'm going to be focusing on the king in real. And it's all going to be gone. But, where we're living right now is progressive perfection. Progressive perfection. Though I am positional, and though it shall be, today, he is still working on me. 
I liked its illustration at camp, though, about the block of ice that God is chipping, because God's doing the work. That's, that's the progressive sanctification that he didn't think he believed in. It's happening. Progressive sanctification is happening every day. God is drawing out the dross. You don't like it, but God's allowing the dross to be drawn out in you. And then what does he do? He takes it off the top and he throws it off. Because he keeps refining you, refining you, refining you, making you into gold and silver that's even more pure and more pure, looking more and more like the image of Jesus. Listen, there's sin in you. Just deal with it. You're an abomination in the nostrils of God apart from Jesus Christ. It's really okay. Because God loves you. And before the foundations of the world were laid, he already made the way, he already established the path that he himself would come and he would eradicate your sin. If you're in Christ, he shall make you perfect. He shall continue to conform you to the image of Christ. But that's where it then goes on in Romans 12 and says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the what? By the mercies of God that you offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. you got a part in this. And be not conformed to the world, but be ye transformed in the renewing of your mind. Changing the way you think. No longer thinking like the world. Get rid of the worldview. Spend time, earnest time, lots of time. Not just quality time, spend quantity time. I spent a whole minute. I hate that minute in the Bible. Um, radio shows. Really? That's what we can give God. One minute. And some people don't give him that. God wants everything, man. You ought to spend more time in this than you do in the teachings of the world. How much time do you spend listening to Rush Limbaugh? How much time do you spend reading God's Word? Or, I mean, the newspaper. How much time do you spend looking at Facebook? Challenge yourself. Is it any wonder we're conforming ourselves to the world and not to the image of Christ? Who's our tutors? Who's our teachers? I'm not picking on you. This is exciting. You shall be perfect. But you got a part in it. Hebrews 7. i got to end with this. Let's go to Hebrews 10. We'll skip 7. And we're going to end with Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, because it's talking about the law and the, and the whole comparison of the law and Jesus Christ. As Jesus said in the very beginning of this, I came not to what? Destroy the law. I came to fulfill the law. Okay? I came to, to fill the fill it. And so the writer of Hebrews, whether it's Paul or someone else, writes an awful lot about this. Okay? And so you have the verses from 7 you can go look at where it says that Jesus Christ has been perfected. Okay? But in Hebrews 10, verse 1, For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach what? Perfect. All these sacrifices that they offer can never make one what? Perfect. But Jesus said you've got to be perfect to what? To get to heaven. Drop down now to verse 12. But this man, Jesus Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, now look at what he does with one offering, for by one offering he has perfected 
forever those who are being sanctified. Do you note the position? What's the position? You have been what? Perfected. What's the progressive work? You are being sanctified. You are perfect in heaven because of Jesus, because of his perfection. But you know what God's doing for you here? He's working the work of perfection in you. He's making you more and more perfect. So, how would you describe your righteousness? God's word says that it's like a filthy rag. Do you think that you are doing all right and can stand before God in your own merits? Or do you comprehend that your righteousness is like a filthy rag? That's what God says it is. Whose thinking is more symbolic of your thinking? That of the Pharisees or that of Christ? Have you accepted the sacrifice which Christ made to atone for your sins? If you haven't, behold, today is the day of salvation. If so, you may stand firm in this teaching of your perfection. But as an indicator of the genuineness of your faith will be, de- if, will be the desire to pursue perfection, to be conformed to the image of Christ in your life. And so finally, is there a need then to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you for your love and your mercy. I thank you for your promise, Lord, that you have given to us. Lord, that you will make us perfect. You will make us fishers of men. You will do the work in us. Lord, that you who begin the good work will continue to perform it to the day of Christ. It's mind-boggling to me, Father, the, the, how the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the three and yet one, how it all comes together. And yet I know it to be true because your word declares it. In the same way, then, I don't understand how I could be perfect because I know me. And yet I accept it, Lord, based upon your judicial act, your judicial declaration that what you have done is enough. Oh, Lord, I pray that you will help me and help these others having this hope to seek to be pure, to seek to be holy as you are holy, to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit calling for us to walk after you, to deny ourselves, take up a cross daily, and to follow you. Lord, that we would desire, desire, hunger and thirst for your righteousness and not those things of the world. That you would receive glory in us. In Christ's name, amen.